Welcome to the Get Above the Line podcast. Today we have Stephen Marshall. He's a member of Gerald Marshall and Schrader. You've been a legal advocate for landlords since 2004. Is this true? You average 3,000 evictions per, per year? Uh, that's actually not true, Bob. That's dated. We had we filed over 5,100 oh, uh, in, in 2023. <laughs> oh, okay. so, so no, that's not exactly true. So okay. give me my numbers. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. I checked out that website, KentuckyLandlordLaw.com. I mean, you've collected, I mean, you've put together quite a bit of information for landlords on that website. You've represented hundreds and advised hundreds of rental owners and managers on issues covering the entire legal process from advertising through eviction, post-tenancy issues, housing discrimination complaints, security deposits, and collection issues. On a personal note, you have a wife and four children, and I was checking out your YouTube channel, Stephen Marshall 1974, where you talk about winning the third quarter of life. Winning uh, the third quarter of life. It said that, you know, it started in, what, 2008? Was that when you made a change and yeah. got things going? So all old high school stars got to talk about their, you know, their glory days, right? So I was always an athlete, played lots of sports. And staying in shape had always been pretty easy for me until I looked up at age 34 in 2008 with two kids, Third, getting ready to be born, and I was 5'10", 220 pounds, and on my frame, that's just, I was I was overweight, and yeah. I was out of shape, and I knew that life was not going to slow down, uh, it wasn't going to be easy, but I needed to make a change if I wanted to be able to, when my kids grew a little bit, run, play, wrestle, coach their st- sports teams, all that stuff, and so uh, I just made the commitment that I'm going to get back in shape. Now, it's always easier to relearn than to learn. So it was a little right. easier for me. Right. Uh, but I lost 40 pounds pretty quickly uh, and then just have kept it off since then through a variety of things. My, my training evolves every every few years. Uh, I think I'll probably get bored with one, one way of doing things, and I switch it up just to keep it fresh. But, uh, no, I've been able to keep it off through diet and nutrition, and uh, I turned 50 on January 8th. And so... Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and that's where kind of the third quarter of life came in. You right. know, if, you, if you think we're going to live 75 years, you can kind of break that down into quarters. Right. And my, my old basketball coach used to tell us, like, whoever wins the third quarter mm-hmm. typically wins the game. And so it is very important for men in their third quarter of life, meaning 30 to 60, but if you want to get tighter, 35 to 55, those are important years. You are busier than you will ever be with your job and your career. You're busier than you'll ever be with your family, typically. Right. And so if you're not careful, that will overrun you, and you will find yourself overweight, out of shape, eating ultra-processed foods all the time and sitting around, and you end up fat, sick, weak, depressed, and anxious. And that is not where you want to be when you turn 60 years old. Right. Because it's going to be really hard then. Uh, and, you know, you're looking at all types of you know, cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes, metabolic disease. You're just, you're in big trouble. So if you can win that third quarter, even when life is so busy, you set yourself up to maintain a high quality of life in your later years. I love that. I love that a right? lot, man. Because like, being a sports guy myself, like the third quarter, yep. like one of my friends used to always say that too. He would say, momentum can get you through the first half. In the third quarter is when the game is won. The adjustments yes. that are made after halftime is what wins or loses the game. So you, for you to say that, I absolutely love that analogy right yeah. there, too. Uh, yeah. The I mean, third you, quarter of life. If you're an athlete, especially in high school, man, your 20s, you can kind of keep it going. <laughs> yeah. You start hitting 30 and beyond that, man, it takes focus and effort and a plan. I wasn't an athlete athlete. I mean, I, I was, but I rode BMX bikes. I forgot my baseball glove the day of seventh grade baseball tryouts, and I had played baseball since I was little kid and the coach said didn't bring your glove you're not on the team (laughs) and from that point forward i i didn't play organized sports all through school rode bikes rode bmx bikes and we had a pretty tight crew i mean we'd ride 20 miles in a day you know every day and i stayed in shape then i was 26 i put on some weight and then i've recently been on a journey of you know changing some things i quit smoking perfect perfect um i've been i'm i'm physical but i i need to get a routine yeah, I'm, I'm physical, like in the sense of work, like chopping wood and cutting trees. Down You're not sitting around. I don't that. sit around. The one thing I don't do is sit around. When you made that shift or that change, I mean, you obviously found the time to do it and you still continue to find the time. How does that affect you like in business? Do you think that 
-hmm. that that affects your business or? Here's the way I look at it. Everyone's credibility and likability and respectability is enhanced if they're in good physical shape. Mm -hmm. I I think that's just part of human nature. You You can think of it as shallow or not, but when you look at someone and they have taken care of themselves, there's just... They just come across to you better. It's yeah, just a fact. I agree. And so at the margins, I think it certainly helps in business. Yeah. What do you do? Like, so what, your workout right now, daily basis or? So, like? yeah. So I, I, I do something every day. Mm-hmm. But uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm focused on strength training. Wednesday, I've had this habit once a week. Uh, I take my hunting backpack and I load it down with weights, 50 to 70 pounds. And I go outside and I walk for 50 minutes. They call that ruck, is rucking. Go good. Yeah, call that yeah, rucking now, right. right? They call it's it rucking. rucking. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of a weird term, so I didn't want to use it. But since you did, yeah. I'd, every we Wednesday. We said it at the same time, yeah, so I don't yeah, know. We, yeah. we did. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, every Wednesday I do a ruck. And that just kind of yeah. combines making your whole body strong. But there's a lot of cardio element to it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and plus you're outside, which I think is, man, so important. Uh, now because we're always in climate-controlled inside spaces looking at screens. The more time that we're out there in nature, not seeing right angles everywhere, it just, man, it's good for our brains. So that's the five weekdays. And then Saturday and Sunday, I try to do a one- to two-hour walk each day, just getting steps in, moving my body, you know, getting my heart pumping, that type of thing. If I miss one of those days, it's not the end of the world. But, yeah, Monday through Friday is the main part of what I do. It's like very similar on mine. It's Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. I'm doing strip training. Yeah. Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday is my cardio. Last year, I did my first triathlon. But it was a push. It was really awesome. No doubt. I did. It was a push. But it was, it was my first triathlon, and it was awesome. But one of the things when you say that, Bob, on the days that I do, for any reason, don't work out or get my physical in, I feel it. Yeah. I feel it. Like, just the energy that I have. Like, I'm, I'm a little bit more irritable on those days. Like if I if I go two three days without working out, yep. when it does happen, I'll like I'm like, babe, I just need to go to the gym. It's just like getting that body yeah. into motion and having that consistency with yourself. It's like, yeah, and and soon it'll that. be it'll be she's telling you, babe, you need to go to the gym. It's like you got to get out of this house and do something because you're about to drive me crazy. Yeah. So yeah, that that's right on. It's counterintuitive, it's really but when we're tired, it's usually because we haven't been moving. Mm, yeah. And moving gives us the energy that we want. And, you, you know, go. it doesn't make sense, but it is, like you said, it is 100% true. Yeah, love that. I agree. It's really good. I agree. I got a place at the lake, and that's where I do most of my tree cutting and rock moving. Uh, and- we've been talking. Soon that'll be a change, though. Huh? We've been talking every week. Soon that'll be a change. I ask you every week, do, has it came in yet? Your oh, gym yeah. equipment. Yeah, I ask yeah. you every week, has it came in yet? Yeah, so the consistency in it, I mean, I'm there almost every weekend, but if I miss a weekend, I mean, so it's two or three days that I'm just going to the point of nearly mm-hmm. vomiting. Like, that's how hard I go. Yeah, Up and down hills with logs and trees. I mean, I'm stronger than I've ever been. I think that what I need in my life is more consistency through the week. Yeah. Through the week, yeah. I'm working, you know, with the family, and I'm, I, I, I'm not as consistent with the things I do. So that's one of the things. I got the kids for Christmas. We have an unfinished basement, and I started putting some flooring down, redoing the basement, has been put to the side. I'm just going to get some equipment and have a place that people can move and yeah, we'll exercise, see by, right? We'll see, by with that too, it's like for me, it's like where I do mine at mine's the morning, early morning, yeah. 5.30 in the morning is when I get my workout in. And it's for me, it's like that's my time and my release. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, like my phone's not ringing. People aren't calling me. I listen to a book most of the time. I'm not listening to music. I listen to a book most of the time. Call it the nerd in me, a book or a podcast. But it's like that's my time to release and just... I just kind of box myself out away from everything else. Just get get away from everything else. And I, I, I mean, think the kids thing powerful. is like what is most Spark important it. to me right now. I yeah. have two stepkids that are 10 um, and I have a son that's three. So like I think about them and like how, you know, in the evenings we're just sitting around doing nothing. You yeah. know, like there's and it's like that space, that time is what I'm trying to fill. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That, that nothing yeah. time when it's like we're spending time together, but I want to spend time doing active things moving that's yeah. what draining my son this morning he woke up at 5 30 like last night he was trying to he's like got, we got three kids ages seven five and three and my seven-year-old tells me that i'm getting old and he can do more push-ups than me so i get on the ground and i beat him you're gonna earn your first win over here and uh this morning he was up with me at five o'clock in the morning and i was gonna go to the y and i didn't i worked out downstairs because he was awake and he just sat there there's a period of time where you're either gonna you're either you're not gonna wake up and get on your phone. You're not gonna wake up and watch screens. You're either gonna come work out with me or you're gonna go back to sleep. One of the two you choose. 
Yep. And he came down there, and he was he was on the bicycle. He was on the bicycle for a little bit of time. And I mean, he did a few push-ups, but it was just, like, I love that right there. It's helping build that consistent so your kids work out with you? Them. Uh, they don't work out with me very often, uh, but they all work out very hard. Very good. Uh, you know, what, what DJ's talking about is, man, it is so important because – what he's doing, what I've tried to do is build a culture of fitness in our Right. Yeah. I, I never tell my kids you need to work out. Right. Never. That. You know, they are all athletes. They work jobs, and they will get up early or work out late to get their workout in. And I never tell them to do right. it. Right. It's Love just that. simply because their entire existence has been, all right, my dad works out four to six times a week. And that's just, that's, to yeah. them, that's normal. That's how people are supposed to live. And, man, they all they all do it. I'm I now have the third highest squat in our house instead of the first. Were your yeah. parents like that too? No. Uh, I, my parents ran when I was young. Mm-hmm. Uh, they always emphasized athletics, but they, they didn't really train. Right. Really. They just kind of they, you know, encouraged me to. And I, I was just kind of born with that. I was drawn to it naturally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they always encouraged it and, never, and did everything they could to make it available to me, but that wasn't really their thing. I'll ask you this. I just thought of this. What do you think about Ozempic? Uh, so I don't know all the details of it. I hear the, oh, man, it could cause this, it could cause this, it could cause this. Any Anything like that always just makes me a little nervous mm-hmm. because it's so new, and who knows in 10 or 15 years what we're going to see from it. But, look, science and medicine and technology, all those things are so amazing, and it, if they can help people, basically undo years of damage, and it's safe, I'm for it. Because it puts them back in a place where they can kind of reset and start doing things the right way. You know, if you've got somebody who's 250 pounds overweight, man, there's a lot of movement types of things that they it's simply not safe for them to do. Their joints aren't going to hold up under it. And so if there's a way for them to kind of reset quicker and it's safe to do it, Go for it. You take someone like you that's worked hard your whole life at your fitness and your health, and then you look at someone that, you know, gets a couple shots and is able to lose weight. I guess they're not fit, though. They're just... Well, all, all it does is it gives them a reset. Right. You know, and... and because they, from there, they have to do something. That's right. They they mean, they just keep their, if they keep their bad habits, then they're going to end up in the same place. Yeah, yeah. That's so, what you did. You had to make that decision that it was time. You said you had got up to higher than what you wanted to be. You were in the 220. Oh, I was 220 and, at 5'10", almost on a smaller it. frame, and it's like, man, I was just... Yeah, I, did, I didn't want to be there. So if people if hip, if it helps people reset, that's great. But I mean, yep. it's not going to solve their problem for the there rest of their life until they make better choices. I saw you posted something about uh, advocates uh, going after the security deposit. or Yeah, there, like. there's always something going on. The, for the last probably six months, the big topic has been in Lexington. They're looking to pass a an ordinance that would prohibit housing providers from rejecting tenants based on a particular source of income. Mm-hmm. And really what that means is Section 8 vouchers. Okay, uh, Right now, and, and throughout history, the Section 8 voucher program has been voluntary, meaning landlords could choose to participate or choose to decline it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of been a trend across the country that that would no longer be voluntary, that landlords would be required to accept Section 8 vouchers uh, and that they would make people with Section 8 vouchers, a protected class under fair housing law, Mm. which means that if you choose not to rent to them, you're committing an act of discrimination. Wow. Now, that's, you know, that's a little different because most protected classes are based on innate immutable characteristics, Mm -hmm. not based on basically income level, and they don't require participation in this government program that has kind of some hoops for landlords to jump through. Right. And so... That's been a big a big fight. A an ordinance like that passed in Louisville a few years ago. And, and theirs has something to do with credit too, right? So I don't think it has to do with credit. There's there's okay. ha- there's is a much more involved ordinance that prohibits discrimination based on military status, homelessness status, and a few other okay. things like that. They kind of put five categories together and threw it into this big ordinance that is uh, that does affect criminal background is probably what you're thinking. Okay. There there are a number of criminal activities that you're allowed to basically do a background check on, and the rest you cannot. Uh, and it's just it's a very long and confusing ordinance that has uh, been a bit of a mess on that regard. Right. But the one in Lexington is just about source of income. And honestly, the city council looks prepared to 
pass it, but there's been legislation introduced in the state legislature that would prohibit any local government from passing such an ordinance. Mm. And mm. that seems to perhaps have stopped Lexington's ordinance in it or proposed ordinance in its tracks. But okay. we'll see we'll see how the Urban County Council chooses to move forward on it. Question. That's that's been the big overriding topic for the last few months. I heard that they tightened up the guidelines a little bit. Is that any kind of, is there any kind of, like the, the tenant, the Section 8 tenant has to also take care of the property? Because at one point in time, they would run it down completely. Now they have a little bit tighter of a guideline on what they well, have. Well, so it, they have to th- they've always had to sign a lease that requires them to pay on time and to be a good tenant, not tear up the property, not disturb neighbors, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has not changed. Section 8, the, the wait list has been closed forever. It opened up earlier in 2023 for like a week, I want to say, and then it filled up again and closed again. So they've got a, a pretty long wait list for sure. Uh, but I don't think the guidelines have really changed any. Uh, and that's that's kind of been one of the housing providers' big beefs is that if we're forced to accept lower-income tenants and they tear up the property, we really don't have any recourse. We can't go after them. Uh, you know, for damaging the property. And so that, that's kind of been a, a gripe about the program. And then the, the inspection portion of that has been part of that, right? That, that's that? been the controversial yeah. part. Uh, and, and really, that's the part that alarmed me the most when, when I heard about this ordinance was because I, for years, I've heard horror stories of, all right, I'm, I'm fine to take Section 8, but that means that my unit has to be inspected and, in, and approved before I can sign someone to a lease and they start paying rent. There's not enough inspectors, and they fail people over trivial things, and sometimes they fail people the second time over things that were not mentioned the first time. Those are the horror stories I heard. Yeah. Now, if you ask the folks that run the program, they say, no, that never happens. It's the best yeah. program you've ever you've ever encountered. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Right. Uh, but that, that was the alarming part that if you have to take Section 8, your units end up sitting empty for a prolonged period of time waiting for the inspection process to get completed. And, and I've had, I, I met with the uh, Dave Savigny. He's the council member who proposed the Section 8 ordinance and, and basically asked him to put a, a carve-out in the, in the ordinance that would allow a landlord who had a Section 8 applicant to pivot away from them to a non-Section 8 applicant if they came up and it was before the inspection process had been completed. That way, right, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. That, that way there's no unit sitting empty longer than they would otherwise. Right. So, right. yeah, we'll, we'll see if that gets considered yeah. and where that goes. So there must be groups that are advocating for the tenants, but like with the with the deposits, with this Section 8 thing, is that the same group? I think it is the same group. Uh, it's not necessarily quite so monolithic that we can say it's one group, but there are, I guess, a, there's a coalition of different groups mm-hmm. that sometimes they identify themselves as uh, KY tenants. They've got Facebook pages and things like that. But it's, it's a broader group than that. And yes, they've been pushing for what they call the Tenants' Bill of Rights, it's a it's a fairly broad platform asking for a lot of things, one of which was source of income discrimination to be passed, asking for tenants to have attorneys in eviction court, uh, asking for tenants to have media or to have places on uh, city government boards and agencies, asking for a a mediation process to be installed at eviction court that would allow landlords and tenants to discuss their problem instead of moving to eviction, things like that. I can go through and, and say why I think most of those are a bad idea and really would not help the people that they're designed to help. Right. Uh, but the, the big issue is that they're, they all create additional costs for housing providers, and we all know where those additional costs end up going. They get passed on to tenants. I had a lady, I was talking to a lady the other day, and she was advising her son not to buy a house right now because of the interest rates. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, hold on a second. You realize you put some put them into a rental. I mean, the rent can go up. I mean, at least you have control over it not going up. I mean, right. You know, you, you must have a 3% interest rate. She said, yeah. I said, well, <laughs> good for you, but let's talk about your son and his future. Right. You know? Right. So is there anything that protects a, a tenant or against, places, the, against the rent? Certain places you know? have that, huh? Uh, some places have rent control. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Kentucky has an, a, a state law that prohibits cities from passing rent control ordinances. So unless something happens to the state law, 
or unless our legislature passes rent control, that's not going to happen in right. Kentucky. But yeah, that 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 happens other places. But tenants have tons of protections. There's a there's an article I wrote on my blog about how Lexington really already has a tenant bill of rights. We've adopted the Uniform Residential Landlord Tenant Act, uh, and that is a weird a weird law because it's passed by the legislature, but it only applies in areas of the state that adopt it locally. So okay. in, in Lexington, it's been adopted. Louisville, it's been adopted. The city of Georgetown has adopted it. Scott County, outside of Georgetown, has not. Okay. And then there's 16 other areas uh, throughout the state that have adopted it. And it provides a number of protections to tenants, and Lexington has that. So for those reasons, I, I kind of think we tenants already are very well protected here in Lexington. We've sold a couple of properties. Where I didn't feel like the tenants were protected. I mean, it was, they were, I mean, some of these guys, I don't know how they make it through life you know these some of the landlords i've come across i don't know how they make it to the point they made it treating people the way they treat people i mean i've seen some horror stories i mean i I also know a a lot of amazing investors i mean i'm with a lot of amazing investors but some of them i mean i wish i could find them or something or somebody could because it's i bet there was a lot of even that came up during the season of COVID too there was i mean i could only imagine some of the stories that you heard or that came through you, because it lost control. Time, there was like no control. Landlords lost control at that point in time. Where landlords couldn't really totally do anything. Lost the tenants had all control at that point in time. So I can only imagine some yeah. of the stories that you heard, or some of the things that crossed your desk at that point. Yes, landlords and housing providers are like any other business in that they draw all types of people. Some mm-hmm. are some are fantastic. Some are normal. Some are ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah, just like every other every profession, other, just like yeah. attorneys. Look, there's yeah. there's plenty of fantastic like folks. Yeah, I mean, it just, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of any group you get. Some of them are going to be just poor people. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, and landlords are no different in that regard. But yeah, during COVID, man, the law was changing by the minute as to what landlords could do and couldn't do. They were getting it from Congress. They were getting it from the state legislature. They were getting it from the governor, and they were getting it from the Kentucky Supreme Court. Right. And so that's why I was doing a podcast basically every day just on, all right, here's what happened today. Yes, you were. Uh, and, you know, judges are emailing me and saying, all right, I, I know things have changed. What's changed? Because they couldn't keep up with it. Right. Uh, and most of it was very detrimental to being a landlord. Right. Uh, they had eviction moratoriums for basically a year and a half where you could not evict anyone. They had periods where you couldn't charge or collect certain amounts. Uh, it was just, it was very difficult to be a landlord during that time. The bright side of it was that fantastic group of people that constitute landlords that I talked about, they really shone because they were doing fantastic things for their tenants, working with tenants. And so, you know, always during a crisis, some people take advantage and see it as an opportunity and man, they shine like stars. Mm-hmm. And some people did and others didn't, but it was to your point, a very difficult time for landlords. We really got to see something. I mean, we'll talk about this when we're older. I mean, what a crazy time that yeah, was. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> we had a Airbnb at the time, and it was booked out for like four months. And they just sent us an email that said we refunded all the money to the people that rented it. They gave everybody their money back. Wow. Now, they, there was no conversation about it. It's like wow. we refunded everyone yeah. their money. But as a company, I mean, they're just trying to figure out the reaction, too. People were scared. People didn't know what to do. Yeah. People were canceling their plans and were close to the hospitals and things. So, like, I think a lot of that was hospital traffic and school traffic. Yeah. And uh, But they canceled them all. It was 90 days worth of bookings just gone. At that yeah. time, we had, a, we had a, a unit at one of ours that... Um, she would give us all kinds of stories, and she tried to. She really tried to boss up on us. Is what she, I mean, the simplest way to put it. Yeah, she, we, we let her go. I think it was five months without paying rent. And then what were you, you know, do? And then at that point, no, we had we were being cool. Like we don't want to. We understand the situation that's happening right now. Like how can we work with you? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until like that moment of that we got real with her. She ended up paying it all back. It wasn't that she didn't have it at all. It was just she was going through. She was like, I'm watching the news pretty much. And she, <laughs> I'm like, they said, I don't have to pay you anything, so I'm not paying you. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, tenants are the same as landlords. Some yeah. of them are fantastic. Some of, some of them are, are in the middle. Some some of them are, you know, they're going to get what they can get out of you. It's yeah. just, it's... What about... What emotional support animals. Yeah, that's why I stopped leasing properties for people, because this the lady threatened me. Animals? A lady threatened me. Really? Like, I was... 
you know, we don't get the same commission leasing a property for somebody we would sell in the property. It was like a favor to someone that we put it on the market for. And uh, I got trapped like in this conversation <laughs> in the emotional support animal thing. And then I started Googling it and looking and I can get my own emotional support certificate offline for like $75, $50 or whatever. They'll ship it off to you, you know? Yeah. So how have you... Have you come across that? Has there been anything that's actually, you know, turned into something on that? You know, like, have no, people I've gotten never, in trouble for it? To, never had to deal with that. You know, all these places online where you can do, fill out a questionnaire or do a quick Skype session, pay your $150, and they'll send you a letter saying that you're disabled and that because of your disability, you need this emotional support animal. Yeah. Which is typically an 80-pound pit bull. So, yeah. Yeah, so that, that just got completely out of hand. And it kind of climaxed when this group out of Texas called Fair Housing Advocates, Inc., who never set foot in Kentucky. But what they would do is they would call landlords, typically apartment communities that they could look up online. And they would, they would always speak to a leasing agent who always seemed to be new. And they would ask them about their two-bedroom apartment, go through just the regular deal about leasing. And then when it got to the end, they'd say, oh, and by the way, I have an 80-pound pit bull my assistance animal, is that okay? Mm. And if it was okay, then they would go to, and uh, I want to make sure I can bring him in your fitness center. Is that okay? Mm. And in your business office and in your swimming pool area. And can he get in the pool? And they would basically just keep going until they got a wrong answer and say, oh, okay, thank you. And they would file a housing discrimination complaint with the Lexington Human Rights Commission. And they would typically follow that up with an offer to settle the case for between $1,000 and $1,500. And so that just started happening on the regular. Uh, and eventually, I don't know if they got the message or they got bored or they just got so much money they retired. I don't know, but it, it stopped. Right. Uh, and so things have kind of slowed down in that area a little bit. Uh, we passed a law around that time. It's KRS 383.085 that makes it a criminal offense to, to basically misrepresent to the landlord or to a physician or a healthcare professional in an attempt to get an assistance animal. It's kind of what you were saying about how easy it is to, for someone to get their assistance animal certificate. Is that what you said? No, about? that's what he was talking about, too. Yeah, like, there like, was, they, they have, that's the rule against. That's the thing to block it now. There's like, websites everywhere. Like, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so that, that got completely out of hand. Um, it's kind of the pendulum has swung back a little bit, but it's still it's still a huge issue mm. uh, because if you can, you know, I'm from a town of 3,800 people, and if I would have asked my local doctor to write a letter saying I needed anything in the world, he would have done it. Right. And if you get a healthcare professional that's going to do that and they're going to stand behind it, right? There's not a ton that housing providers can do. Unless you can find something about that animal that makes it an undue financial burden, like your insurance is going to get canceled, something like that. Uh, if it's got a history of biting people and so it's right. going to create a direct threat to health and safety of others. Or if it's just simply so big or so unusual that it's likely to cause physical damage to the property. Then you can deny it on one of those bases. But, man, otherwise, if the healthcare professional steps up and, and backs up the, the claim... Yeah, I got, I got wow. nervous. I got nervous. That yeah. lady started pulling that stuff out, and I started digging, and I was like, oh, man. Yeah, and, and the yeah. thing is, you can't charge any fees up front for right. those animals. And so mm -hmm. even at places that are pet-friendly, people are doing it, so they get out of paying pet fees and deposits and things like that. Got wow. it. Well, we, yeah, I, I guess with the short-term rentals, you don't have to honor that, though. Because uh, we were able to. Well, typically Airbnb has, they have their own policy. Yeah, we were that. able to not. Because one of our places that we Airbnb, we got stopped allowing pets. Really? It's right. We have two places right next door to each other down at the lake. And I mean, I hear this dog at 12 o'clock at night, and they've got it, like, trapped on the deck, chained up. And, I mean, 12 o'clock at night, I've been asleep for, like, three hours. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, And I hear this dog screeching in the middle of the night. Sent them a message. Is that your – what in the – it's going on, you know, like I'm done with my five stars. I don't need my five stars anymore. Like I'm at the point that it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, the next day they locked it up in the bathroom. And the reason why I know is because if you go out. inside the bathroom, the whole inside of the door is scratched up. Yeah, so hot up. That was the last dog in our in our place. But <laughs> but I but yeah, the emotional support thing is out of control. Um give us a give one question too. One question. All right, we we've painted a little bit of a 
anybody that's wanting to be an investor out there that isn't already might have a little bit of a nervous feeling in their stomach right now. Um, we're pointing out a lot of the things that aren't beneficial. Like, what's something good that you have seen on the... I don't know the best way to to ask a question here. Ask, give me something, Bob. Do some help would, here. The question is, like, what advice would you have for someone there you go. that just bought a rental property or is getting ready to buy a rental property? Somebody like, that's thinking about the, getting into investing in real estate. They, they've got an opportunity to buy a property. First one, or they're about to buy their first one. Like, what's what the piece next of step? advice would you give them or what's the next step that you would give them? Well, so the first thing I always tell people is your biggest landmine that you're likely to trip up on and cost yourself big time is some type of fair housing violation, some type of housing discrimination case. Uh, and the reason for that is, is that you can commit an act of housing discrimination with the best of intentions. There's yeah. some, there, I, I have to bring this up before I forget. If you go on to Bluegrass Realtors and you type in, because fair housing Family friendly, right? That's oh, yeah, a, that's a violation, right? Yeah, familial status is a protected yeah. class. Families right. with children. But you can pick just about every single one and put it into the to the uh, description search, and there's hundreds of. I mean, I shouldn't be saying that out loud on the thing, but yeah. there is hundreds of violations. Yeah, like, that really like was a shocker to me. But that here's all these licensed professionals. Who have no bad intentions by it at all. If they're doing it, have so no like, bad here, intentions. Here, so that fair housing, I can see where that's a problem. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see where that's that's probably the first Yeah, because you can you can do commit a violation with, with good intentions. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, even the folks that man, they're just trying to look out for somebody and boom, they've discriminated against somebody. Oh, uh, I think you'd like this house because it's on a corner and it's got a large lot as opposed to this house over here that I've got for you. You may be steering them, is the is the phrase, because they're a family with children, yeah. and that's an act of discrimination. And so, yeah. educating yourself on fair housing law yeah. is is one of the things that any new investor needs to do. Now, you need yes, you need to get you know good application, good tenant selection policy, and good lease documents, one hundred percent. But educate yourself on fair housing law because that that's where really you good. can commit an act of, that that will cost you a lot of money. Because that's not one that people are thinking much about. No, like, they're really not. I mean, they're they're thinking. Yeah, they're. Everybody knows this about fair housing. If I treat everyone the same, mm -hmm. I'll be okay. Well, that's simply not true. There are times when the law requires you to treat certain people differently, and mm. so if you're not educated on that stuff, man, you can step in it in a hurry. Short walk to downtown. <laughs> that's a violation, right? Short walk to violation. I mean, those or types of advertising walk? things. Right, the advertising. Can, yeah, those types of things can be. Fair housing violations. Short walk to downtown, probably not right. uh, by itself. But yeah, your your advertising. The, the advertising is like a piece where, I mean, I just know that there's people must not get in trouble for it a lot because there's so many violations out yeah. there. If you're if you're thinking about it, if you're yeah. thinking about fair housing and you're on that path, quiet you can, you can spot. What's that mean? It means there's no kids, right? And that can be discriminatory against families with children. Yeah. So those types of things, yeah, you ha you have to be. Careful and educate yourself for sure. Yeah, but DJ, on, you were talking about earlier. There, there, I see landlords that have had the same tenants and units for twenty years, twenty-five mm -hmm. years, thirty years. They've got a fantastic relationship. The tenant has been no problem, paid on time, taking care of their property. And when it's time for both sides to move on, it's just been a great relationship. And so there are plenty of success stories. Yeah. People don't call their attorney and say, hey, listen to this great great success story <laughs> yeah. I have. Yeah. Uh, people call me yeah. and tell me, hey, I've got this problem. Help me put out this fire. But there are plenty of, of success stories, and that's why it is a competitive industry. People mm. want to get into it because there's money to be made and, and the lifestyle that it can bring, the freedom and flexibility, uh, and then the relationship, relationships you make. You know, it's, it's a fantastic industry. So... You see that as a problem. People get in trouble for fair housing, so it's the tenant that r reports somebody. Yeah, so so they're aware of what a discrimination, what what could be considered discrimination, and then they're reporting this. So in Lexington or in the state of Kentucky, we have the Kentucky Fair Housing Council. Uh, okay, it's headquartered in Lexington, and they are advocates for people who believe they've been discriminated against in housing. Okay, so tenants can go to them get counseling and find out if their rights have been 
potentially violated. Okay. If so, they file uh, they file a complaint with the Lexington Fayette Human Rights Commission. Mm-hmm. They investigate complaints of discrimination. They'll interview the tenant. They'll send the landlord a written uh, packet, basically, of the allegations against them, give them a chance to respond. Then they kind of go through the process of hearing both sides, seeing if they can get it worked out, and then ultimately, if they can't get it worked out, they make a determination as to whether there is reasonable cause to believe the landlord discriminated against the tenant. If there is cause to believe that, then the Human Rights Commission has an attorney on on retainer that will file a lawsuit against the landlord. Mm. So, and that's where you come in. Well, it, hopefully, I come in. And make it so that yeah, the hopefully I come in before, before it all that. starts, yeah. but at the very minimum, I need to be in once that complaint gets filed with the Human Rights Commission to mm-hmm. help prepare the response and guide the landlord through the investigation process. So what would, when that lawsuit happens, what's the repercussions or what what's the worst thing that could happen to someone for violating fair housing? Uh, they, they, can, they can get a judgment against them for any damages incurred by the tenant, including humiliation, emotional damages, things like that. There's a civil penalty of $25,000 for the first offense. There can be punitive damages if what the landlord did was just especially obnoxious or Mm. egregious. Uh, And punitive damages can be just whatever the jury thinks is appropriate. Mm. And then there can be attorney's fees for for the attorney that represents the tenant. Wow. So that's why that I say... Be big money. Yeah. yeah. And so, How often does plus, that happen? And does that's it, all in addition to the the money that you're paying your attorney to, to do right, the case. Right. Is that something that you do? I mean, how many... Yeah, like the question goes, how many, How often does that happen? Is that something that you see so, happen from time to time? So, or, or is yeah. it jeopardy of happening? It, it fluctuates a bit, but I usually am, in, at any given time, handling five to ten of those complaints. Really? Uh, and, you know, over the course of a year, we'll say ten to twenty a year that I handle. There are, there are more that happen, but that's how many I personally end up handling. How long do they typically? So there's a there's an ordinance that says that the investigation is supposed to be completed within 100 days. Okay. It never, ever, ever gets completed within 100 days. Gotcha. So it's usually, a, I'll say, a six-month process. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Tenant have to continue to, if in a situation like that, does the tenant, is the tenant obligated to continue to pay their rent? Or? They are, but typically... The tenant is already out of the property when this happens. Gotcha. It's usually either on the front end. Or they and, never got into it. That's yeah. right. It's from a tenant whose application was denied. I've, I've been dealing with one of those this week, and they believe that they were denied for a discriminatory reason. Gotcha. Or it's on the back end. After they're already out, they believe they were treated in a discriminatory mm. manner while they were living there. Okay. So it's, it's, it does happen sometimes while they're still there. If so, they do have to continue to pay their rent. But typically it's before. Before or after, or after yeah. typically. Yeah. So then what, so you said something about the lease, right? Was that the next thing? So the first thing was fair housing. The second thing was lease. The, the second thing is, is what I'll call your legal documents. Yep. Um, everybody knows they need an application and everybody knows they need a lease. Those two things need to be good documents. Okay. Like I said, Lexington's covered by the Uniform Residential Landlord Tenant Act. It has certain provisions in it that says you can't put X, Y, and Z in your lease. Okay. So you need a good lease document that protects you and gives you the most protections that you can have, but doesn't have those prohibited things in it. The second thing you have to keep in mind is that only 19 areas have adopted this Landlord-Tenant Act. So if you've got properties in Lexington and properties in Nicholasville, you need different leases because you can get more protections in your lease in Nicholasville than you can put in your Lexington lease. but you can't use your Nicholasville lease in Lexington because it's going to have, it prohibited, have the right thing. It's going to have prohibited provisions. So you need good legal documents. But the one that everybody forgets is their tenant selection policy. And all that is is what is your criteria you're going to use to decide who gets approved to live in your housing or not? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you just wing it, if you're just like, oh, I just go by gut. You are going to get sued for housing discrimination because whatever your gut tells you, somebody's not going to like what your gut says. Having, says a, written, having a written procedure is is what you should have. It's like what you're mandatory. Because yeah. you can always you can always I refer back to it. Your 100%. tenant selection. Your tenant selection. 
Yeah, it needs to be written and it needs to be as objective as possible. Mm -hmm. You don't want to leave yourself any discretion. It just wants to be, all right, if you meet A, B, C, and D, you get to live at my property. And I'm not hiding the ball. Here, this is what it is. Yeah. You show me that you meet these criteria, boom, I'll sign you to a lease tomorrow. So if you have that tenant selection process and someone doesn't meet A, B, C, or D, what if, it's, would, one, what if it's in one of those dis discriminate, uh, a class that someone can say this, they're being discriminated against? Okay. So, A, you have to make three times the rent and income. Okay. Show me your pay stubs. If gotcha. you don't, you can't live here. Gotcha. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what religion you follow. I don't care if you're disabled. I don't care what country you're from. I don't care how many kids you have. If you don't bring in three times, three times the, the rent, rent, you're yeah. out. Yep. If you have any felony convictions within the last five years for hurting someone or tearing up property, you don't mm -hmm. get to live here. That's gotcha. very objective. And I don't care who you are. If you don't meet it, you don't get to live here. Yeah. Okay. If you have any eviction judgments within the last five years, you're out. Okay, so those types of things, those are yeah. objective. You don't have any discretion, and it doesn't discriminate against any particular class. Mm -hmm. It's right. just that's good. It's just here it is, and you attach that to your application, so everybody knows up front. This is what my criteria are. Yeah. Okay, uh, and that will save you so many headaches because right. the other thing it'll do is people will look at that and be like, oh, "I'm not going to bother applying for it yeah. because I don't meet I don't meet this." Right. Yeah. You know, and so you just it saves both sides time and potential money. And it'd be a good defense if someone took you to court for discrimination. Uh, 100%, like if, 100%. Here's my procedure. You didn't meet number yeah. one, number two, or number three. Yeah. So the, the biggest mistake I see people making is they make it too subjective. So mm -hmm. they'll say, must have satisfactory rental history. Yes. What the hell does that mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What it means to you, and what it means to you, and what it means to me. So can we be talk about that. Yeah, completely we talk about that all the yeah. time. Yeah. Like, yeah. like statements like that or questions like that. Yeah. yeah. So make it clear and objective. Not satisfactory rental history. Okay. Means no evictions within the last X number of years. Yeah. Right. Make that's it. Really good. Make it something that's measurable yes. and objective. That's really good. That's real good because we do talk about that all of the time. It's like somebody says they want a big backyard. Well, what's what is, a big backyard to you? What's a big backyard? Yeah. I mean, it could be, it could be a half acre, absolutely, or it could be twenty acres. Like yeah. big backyard, that means nothing. Someone from New it's York, the same thing. from New York who lives in doesn't uh, have that much. Like a third of an acre. Everywhere in Lexington has a big backyard. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. Someone in, where I'm from, Western Kentucky. My grandma has a few acres. My parents have a few acres. A yes. big backyard to me is a few acres. I'm with you. I yeah, love I that. I get it. 100%. I just really I good. just created one for our company here, um, like a procedure manual. Mm -hmm. Like, and I, I've had one in the past, but this one is really thorough. But it addresses pretty much everything. Yeah. You know, and that way, you know, there's a smoking policy in there, and we got a couple of people that smoke. I said, look, your grandfather didn't, but just realized this is not. You know, like, this is our procedure. This yep. is our policy yep. on this. So it's been really cool to, to work on that. But when you said that, that's that's awesome. Yeah, so that's, that's real good. The legal documents, then, then what? It's the management of the yeah, tenants it's, it's, or the... Well, it's fair housing training. Yep. Get your legal documents in order. Get your fair housing training. And, and then it's just managing your tenants. Right. Taking care of your properties. Those types of things. Uh, where I see people getting sued the most typically comes out of some type of weird power dynamic with their tenant. Either the landlord is just a jerk about everything, and so the tenant's looking for a reason to sue them. Right. Something yeah. like that. Right. Uh, so those types of things have to be they have to be managed, and they're they're really important because if, if you've got a good relationship with your tenants. They will put up with some mistakes. You can work through some stuff. Yeah, you can. You, you can, can just. You can just get it figured out, and you'll get the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. You know, people that are likable, they just they do better because they get the benefit of the doubt. I inherited a tenant on a du in a duplex yeah. in Lexington, and uh, something happened. Maybe they raised the rent. I had a property manager at the time. Maybe they raised the rent, and like week later, code violation. You know, they called code code enforcement, yeah. and they came out. I mean, it was like. But that's exactly what you're talking about. I mean, I think, I mean, there's some of that that goes into that, you know, um, the condition and how you treat people. Yes. And how that how that ends up coming out on the other side. 
So you're treating people right, treating people right. What if they, so the tenants not treating you right or not staying within the parameters of the lease, then what? Well, I mentioned that Landlord Tenant Act. It prescribes the landlord's rights and remedies. And so there are notices that you can, that you're required to give to the mm-hmm. tenant. That's some of the rights that they have, mm-hmm. but you give the proper notice that tells the tenant exactly what they've done wrong, tells them that they have this number of days to fix it or else they have to move out. And so what that does for the tenant, it lets them know, Hey, I'm, I've got to make some changes here or else yes. I have to leave. What it does for the landlord is it gets the clock ticking on that tenancy. Right. And if things don't get fixed within the, the legal time frame, which for non-payment of rent under the Landlord-Tenant Act is seven days, for lease violations, it's 14 days. If it doesn't get fixed within that time frame, then the landlord's eligible to file a forcible detainer complaint and eviction with the local district court. Yeah. So I, I came across another article on your website, and it was talking, and I don't, I think it was, it's, it was, it was an older article. It was talking about, how many evictions get filed? The reason why I know is because Eli's name was on there. Yeah. It was Mashney Harp. The year that you had done it, it was like how many that they had filed. And I think Eli's like, well, that's not me. That's just Danny's property management. I said, okay, Eli, whatever, man. But it had how many get filed, and then it had how many people actually got evicted. There was a chart on there. Yeah. And it was, it was, it's pretty small percentage yeah. of that actual first filing, right? Is that so? That's what you're talking about. Is you you file and you give them notice that this needs to be fixed. Yeah, but it and seems like, like it, it was like a, maybe a third. Does that sound right? Yeah, about a third it, of them actually around, get evicted around there, from the less. point that they get. Yeah, probably less. That's really? That come to yeah. really, that's that come to realistic. Like we got to be realistic here, moment. Yeah. So there, there's we always have to be careful with our terms, and so. That process you're talking about, at any point through that process, some people may call that an eviction. Okay, mm-hmm. are you being evicted when you get that first notice from your landlord? No, no. Some, right? But, I, but but yeah, I don't I don't care. But you just have to be very clear with your terms. Right. And so that's why this big report came out that talked about how many evictions there were in Fayette County. Gotcha. And. When you got down to it, they were using the word eviction in the broadest possible term to mean people that got these notices. Even if you got a notice, yeah. it was considered an eviction. That's right. And most of those people, they got their notice, they paid the rent, nothing happened to them. Yeah. Right. Some of those folks didn't pay. They got a forcible detainer complaint filed against them. Okay, That's an eviction complaint. And a lot of them paid before the court date. The case got dismissed. It's over. Okay. Some people didn't pay then. They went to court and the judge issued a judgment of eviction against them, requiring them to vacate within seven days. Many of them, within that seven-day period, got it worked out with their landlord and paid the money and ended up staying. Gotcha. And then that remainder, whether it's a third or a quarter, whatever it was, they ended up getting put out. Yeah. Okay. I don't know at what point, other than at the very end, it's fair to say they were evicted. Yeah. But not all of them were. They're going from that first notice calling that the eviction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But to me, the way you describe it, it sounds like that system works. If that yeah. if if, if getting from from that notice to the amount that actually got put out, I didn't know that until I read that. No. I, I you know, I skimmed yeah. it. I just skimmed the article, but now when you explain it, I mean it it it's makes like a lot of sense. It works for both sides too cuz the, the the tenant has their time to come up with it and to pay and cover what they what they said that they would cover. And then for yeah. the landlord, if that tenant decides to pay, hey, great, you got it worked out. And if they don't, then the next step has to be taken. Yeah. So it's like so, mutually beneficial for both sides. There are so many people I've evicted month after month after month after month. There was a guy I evicted for 18 straight months. He never he never left the property. He always paid and got to stay. Wow. But if you look on his, you know, in the court records, he's got 18 evictions against him, okay? And there's a number of those folks. And so the goal, the eviction process is always just a collection tool. No landlord, few landlords want to get rid of their tenants. Right. If they do, it's because they're a problem otherwise, Mm -hmm. okay? They're they're causing disturbances or they've got some criminal activity going on or they've moved other people in, something. Typically, the reason somebody files an eviction is to 
leverage the tenant to pay the daggone rent. That's their goal. I just can't yeah. see people getting behind on their rent and then catching it up. You know, like the people that I've, I've come across in my life, but I guess the thing you secure first is where you live. But it's like at the okay. point that you get behind, you know, you got all this other stuff stacking up, but it's amazing that that's, that's, that all that works out and people end up. Yeah, they do. I mean, we're at the time of year right now. So everybody's thing right now is, all right, I'm going to get my tax return. Mm-hmm. If you can just stay with me for a little bit, I'll get a tax return. That'll pay me up through whatever. And so that, those are the negotiations that are going on. With the landlords right, right now. now. Yeah. yeah. Man, there's so that's much really good stuff. There's a lot, a lot of, man, I learned a lot. Today. I know, and I love that we started out the conversation talking about just that whole life value add piece right there. Talking about the family, talking about fitness, really cool. how important that is to just everything that you do. Hundred percent. Like, yeah, I yeah, think that's, that's all really, really cool. good, man. Man, I appreciate your time, and uh, I mean, we could go on for hours because this is something that I'm totally interested in. <laughs> for sure. I, I haven't had many problems with tenants. I haven't had any problems with tenants. Oh, I, the only time I you have, I have. I, <laughs> no, I haven't even told you about. The, I haven't told you about all the ones up there in in, uh, in Danville. Yeah, I haven't, no, I haven't told you about all those. Yeah, no. I can imagine. But I had. I, but I've been pretty lucky with that. But I always think about you know my lease. I don't know where I got my lease. It's like it's like second or third generation. <laughs> yeah. Somebody gave it to me, yeah. and like I just recycled it. You yeah. know, like. But I should definitely look at that. I saw you had some packages on your website. You yeah, know? I I get I get asked to review a lease every week. Yeah, and I you know for a while I would do it, and it would take me three, four, five hours to do it to to mark it up, say this is what you need to change, this is what you need to add, blah blah blah, and then I would change it for them. I just figured out, look. I can create a lease. And then, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and it saves go. them money, saves me time. Yeah. And go. I know it's going to work for them. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So I just created this packet. And, you know, I'll still review people's leases and make suggestions if they want. But otherwise, I've just got a packet that I'm like, here, look at this. See if you want it. it may save us both a lot. There's yeah. a big takeaway for any any new, anyone that's interested in getting into uh, owning some property and being a landlord or somebody who already is a landlord and their lease might not be all the way secure. Like, you just dropped the nugget right there yes. for them. And and that the thing you got to keep in mind is what I mentioned earlier is that if you own properties in multiple areas, you may need different leases. Mm-hmm. What about really what about the protection for the land, landlord as far as how they hold the property? Do you advise on that or like in their so, name or in an LLC or in a you know like what's the so if you have employees, uh, meaning that you're not self managing, mm-hmm. I think it's wisest to put it in an LLC mm-hmm. uh, because. That will give you some personal protection if one of your employees or your property manager or someone commits one of these fair housing violations, mm-hmm. whatever. Or if there's a personal injury on the property, something like that, it'll give you some protection. If you're self-managing, that's less of an issue because you can still be held personally liable for any right. individual act that you take. Yeah, if, you, if you're hiring a property management company or you've got employees who are doing a lot of the management work, yeah, put it in an LLC to protect yourself is there insurance that covers that fair housing thing, or that's coming? That could there, break somebody. Yeah, you can get liability insurance. The liability sure. insurance yes. would cover something like that. Yeah, fair housing. yeah, for sure. It's real good. Thank you for your it time. Is. Hey man, no, you this is fun. I, I would I would have paid y'all to come here. Yeah. <laughs> well, you come back. <laughs>